Hey, First Church, how is everyone? Doing okay? Uh, okay, you guys are halfway awake this morning. Good. Uh, glad to see you guys, and we're excited you're here. I'm enjoying this warm weather. My sinuses are not, so hopefully I can make it through this message, but it's all good. I'm looking forward to the warmer weather coming and just staying. But we are one church that meets in multiple locations. And so we have family right now gathered out at our Stone Canyon campus as well as our Vertigris campus. And we just want to welcome them this morning. So if you would put your hands together and welcome them to our service this morning. Now, I haven't been here that long, but most of you guys have probably already realized I really love spending time with my family. Alice and I both, we love spending time with our kids. And so there's different activities that we do around our house just to pass the time. One thing that we love to do is to put together puzzles. Alice loves putting together puzzles. Addie loves chewing on the puzzle pieces. But we have a fun time together building puzzles. And this can take, you know, hours sometimes to put together some of these puzzles. We also enjoy drawing and coloring together. In fact, Alex drew me this picture just the other day. I came home from the office and he had it for me. It'll be up on the screen if you want to take a look at it. And I asked him, what it was, and he said, it's you playing basketball. So apparently I have one arm, and it's 10 feet long, and I have a green face. And I said, why do I have a green face, buddy? He said, you were sick that day. And I thought, oh, okay, well, <laughs> makes sense. I don't know why I asked. Another thing that I like to do with Addie is we like to have dance parties. I'll put Addie up on my shoulders, and we'll just kind of bop around the house to music. And I'm glad you guys aren't there to see it, because it's probably pretty embarrassing. But Addie and I really love doing that. And she'll just giggle and laugh as I put her on my shoulders, and we jump around the house and dance. Now, Alex, something that I like to do with him... We like to play with Mega Blocks, and if you don't know what Mega Blocks are, they're kind of giant Legos, and they're bigger because, you know, that way the little kids won't, small, won't swallow them. So we'll play with Mega Blocks, and our goal is to use every block he has and to build the biggest tower that we possibly can and not leave any blocks out, try to use them all up. And our goal is to try to get to the ceiling. We haven't done it yet because normally when it gets so high, it starts to, you know, go back and forth a little bit like it's going to fall, so we have to build the base even bigger but we will use every block we can, try to build the tower as tall as we possibly can, and then when we're finished, we just kind of sit back and look at it, and just, uh, we're very proud of our work, I guess, but we will look at it for maybe a second or two, and then you know what Alex does? That. Every single time. Watch out if you're on the front row there, sorry. Every single time. We'll build it, we're proud of ourselves, and we look at it, and then within just a second, he knocks it right over, and I'm thinking, man, it took us like 20 minutes, you know, to build that, to get it just right, to use every block, and to get as high as we possibly could, and then it just takes a split second for him to tear it down. That reminds me of a quote I heard years ago by Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett once said, it takes 20 years to build a good reputation, and only five minutes to destroy it. And I think most of us know that to be true. It takes 20 years to build a good reputation, and only five minutes to destroy it. And no one in Scripture knew that better than King David in the Old Testament. Now, we talked about David last week, and we talked about the relationship he had with his young wife, Michael, and how Satan hijacked their marriage, hijacked that relationship, and it didn't end well. But today, we're going to look at another dark point in David's life, and this is probably the darkest period in David's life. And David really messed things up. He wrecked his life because he pursued a relationship he never should have pursued. Because here's the thing. Yes, God created relationships for our good. But not all relationships are good for us. We talked about last week how God created relationships and they're meant for our good, and they are. But not all relationships 
are good for us. And this is a theme that is found all throughout Scripture. Proverbs 13.20 states, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul writes, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. The Bible teaches that some relationships can and will harm us. Some relationships will sabotage God's plan for our lives. And that was definitely the case for David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So that's what we're going to study today. If you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me 2 Samuel chapter 11 as we look at what most people would consider the darkest period of David's life. And it begins with these words in verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. That's an important fact there. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman, she was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So there's a certain time every year when kings would send their army off to war. and It was that time of year, and David sent his army, but he did something that wasn't typical. He didn't go with them. Typically, kings always went with their armies to go to war. David decided, for whatever reason, to stay home. And he sent his chief general, Joab, to be in charge. And Joab was supposed to report back to him everything that went on on the battlefield. Now, the Bible doesn't say why David stayed home. But I have to wonder, had David become a little bit too comfortable? You see, God had richly blessed David. David was a man after God's own heart. And because David sought God... God made the nation of Israel very healthy, very strong and vibrant, prosperous, successful. And so after years of this, maybe David got a little comfortable and thought, you know, God's presence, it's always going to be with us. We're always going to have this great nation. We're always going to be successful. We're always going to be prosperous and vibrant. Maybe he started to take God's presence for granted. And something that I've learned over time is when we start to take God's presence for granted... We give Satan an opening, an opening to come in and distract us, an opening to come in and sabotage our lives. And that's exactly what happened to David. So David stays home, and one late afternoon, he falls asleep. He takes a nap. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking an afternoon nap. I'm probably going to take one this afternoon. That's what I do a lot of times on Sunday afternoon. I crash when I get home. Nothing wrong with taking an afternoon nap. David did that. He fell asleep one afternoon. And by the time he woke up, the sun was already setting. It was evening time. You ever done that when you fall asleep late in the afternoon and you wake up and it's the time you're supposed to be winding down and then you can't because you just had a long afternoon nap? Well, that's David. He wakes up and he can't go back to sleep, so he decides to take a walk. He walks around his palace. And he ends up on the roof. And there on the top of his palace, he overlooks his entire kingdom. He sees everything that he owns, everything that he reigns over, everything that he rules. And apparently, that includes a woman. Now, this woman, she's bathing. 
And you might think, well, that's a little odd, isn't it? Why is she bathing on the top of her roof? Isn't that a little strange? And in fact, when I've taught on this passage before, I've had people come to me and say, now why was Bathsheba out there anyway? I mean, why was she bathing on her rooftop? Well, here's the thing. In this day and age, that was actually pretty typical. Your roof was probably one of the more private areas in your home. Remember, a lot of people lived in a very small area. And so the roof was probably one of the more private areas. And we have found that they used to build like uh, walls and uh, temporary walls and different, put a different greenery to try to give them some privacy. So this was pretty typical for people to bathe on the top of their roof. And David knew that. But you see, David's tower, it oversaw what other people couldn't see. Yeah, they would put up these temporary walls and greenery to give them some privacy, but David, well, that didn't block his vision. David knew that. David also knew what time of night, time of the evening people typically bathed. So he goes out on his roof, looks over his kingdom, and there he sees a woman bathing. Her name, Bathsheba. And verse 2 tells us, the woman was very beautiful. Now, in Hebrew, that phrase, very beautiful, literally means she was hot. Now, I don't know if it actually means that or not. That's my translation, but she was hot. And David looks at her, and he wants her. Now, here's the thing. She's not just hot. David finds out she's married, and yet that doesn't stop him. And in a moment of weakness, this man who loves God with all of his heart, ignores what God wants for his life and does what he wants to do. And he pursues a relationship he never should have pursued. David sends off one of his servants to fetch Bathsheba. The servant brings Bathsheba to the palace. David seduces her. David sleeps with her. And then he sends her home. David expected this just to be a one-night stand. But then he gets word a little while later that she was pregnant. And David, you're the father. Now that's bad, but it only gets worse. But isn't that how sin works? You know, sin starts off small, but when you leave God out of the equation, when you continue to ignore God, sin, it snowballs. So what does David try to do? He tries to cover up his sin. And so he sends a letter to Joab, his general, out on the battlefield, and he says, send Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back to Jerusalem. See, Uriah is one of David's best fighting men. So he says, send, send Uriah back, I want to honor him. And David throws this lavish party, this huge party for Uriah. And David intentionally gets Uriah drunk. And once Uriah is all liquored up, David starts to talk to him. And he says, hey, listen, you're one of my best men. You deserve a reward. Why don't you go home tonight and be with your wife? Why don't you go home tonight and sleep with Bathsheba? You've earned it. You deserve it. And Uriah tells David no. It's interesting, Uriah has more integrity in this passage than David. And David's supposed to be a man after God's own heart. Uriah says, listen, O king, I know people typically don't tell you no, but I have to. Because my countrymen, my brothers, they're out fighting for our nation right now. And they don't get to be home with their families. How could I go and be home with my wife tonight? I just wouldn't feel right about that. No, I'm not going to do that. And so Uriah tells David no. And David has a choice to make. 
David can now either own his sin and accept the consequences of his sin, or he can continue to try to cover it up. And he does what most of us have probably done at some time or another. He continued to try to cover up his sin. So he sends Uriah back, and he sends Uriah back with a message. And the message is to Joab, the general, put Uriah on the front line where he's sure to be killed. David, this man after God's own heart, has Uriah murdered. It started off with an affair. Then he tried to lie and cover it up. It ends in murder. And David thinks, well, now everything's okay. I've covered it up. Uriah is out of the picture. He marries Bathsheba. He claims her unborn child as his own. And David hopes, he crosses his fingers, crosses his fingers that everything will just turn out happily ever after. But it doesn't. Because that's never how things turn out when sin is involved. It takes 20 years to build a good reputation and only five minutes to destroy it. And that's what happened to David. My question is why? Why did David do all this? What happened? What brought David, this man after God's own heart, to this point? Why did David pursue a relationship that was toxic from the very beginning? Well, first, David was alone. I think this is one reason why David pursued this relationship. He was alone. See, everyone else, remember, they're off to fight. And David doesn't seem to have anyone with him in his palace. Now, I'm sure there were other people in the palace. He had servants. And in this day, David had multiple wives. Kings typically had multiple wives. But on the night he had the affair, no one else seems to be with him. He's all alone in his chambers, and he goes up to the rooftop, and he's all alone there as well. And you know this. Satan works hard on us when we feel like we're alone. We will do things that we normally wouldn't do. We will pursue relationships we wouldn't typically pursue to fill the void that loneliness creates. See, loneliness, it can lead to depression. Loneliness can lead to frustration. Loneliness can make us feel very unhappy. And I'm convinced that loneliness is one of our greatest struggles, in fact, it was our first struggle. If you'll remember back to the book of Genesis, when God created everything in six days, after He created each part of His creation, remember what God said in the book of Genesis? It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then when He created the human race, when He created man, He looked at mankind and said, it is very good, because mankind was the crowning jewel of God's creation. But what's the first thing God ever said wasn't good. Do you remember? Genesis 2.18 It is not good for man to be alone. God knew from the very beginning that when we feel alone we are not at our best. And when we're alone, when we think no one else is watching or no one else is around or no one else cares, we will do things that we wouldn't normally do if we were surrounded by godly influences. David probably would not have gone up to the roof that night if one of his wives had been with him. David probably would not have gone up to the roof that night if his spiritual mentor, Nathan the prophet, had been with him. David probably would not have gone up to the roof that night if he had had some godly friends around him like Jonathan or 
Joab. But David was all alone. And Satan knew this, and so he played on David being alone. And I want to ask you today, who are you when no one's watching? Does the private you match the public you? See, when you feel alone, Satan can be extremely persuasive. And he'll whisper things in our ears like, Hey, no one will ever find out. You deserve this. Go for it. It'll just be our little secret. But that's never the case. In fact, the Bible teaches, Numbers 32, 23, Your sin will find you out. David tried to hide, cover up, lie about his sin, but the more he tried, the more pain it brought him and the more pain he inflicted on others. His sin just kept snowballing until it wrecked his life. And guys, that's why God has given us boundaries for life. God's teachings, His instructions that are found within the Bible, they're not there to spoil our fun. They're not there to hold us back. They're there to protect us because God loves us and He knows what's best for us and He doesn't want to see us wreck our lives. I was gone this week uh, to a conference in Arizona and had a great time. It was very refreshing. It was a conference for large church ministers, and like I said, it was just great. But while I was away, I bought Alex and Addie some gifts. I do that anytime I'm away from them for a while because Allison and the kids had to stay back home. So I called them up one night, and I talked to them on the phone, and I'm on speaker so Alex can hear me. And I said, well, Alex, I got a surprise for you when I get back. He said, really? And I said, yeah, I got a surprise for you. But in order for you to get it, you better be good. Got to be good for mommy. Do whatever mommy says. And I could hear him say on the phone, Oh, man. I was like, what? He said, I wish you would have said I could get it if I was bad. I could do that. So I said, no, you got to be good. You got to do what mommy says. And he's like, okay, okay. So I get back, and I got back the, on that night, like midnight or so. It was late, and uh, Alice and the kids are already asleep, and so I go on to bed. But 4 a.m., I wake up to his face on top of mine. Daddy, I'm ready for my surprise. I'm ready for my surprise. So we all got up. I hadn't seen him, so I missed him. I had very little sleep, but I wanted to see him anyway. So, uh, so we got up, and I asked him, I said, Buddy, have you been good? And he said, Well, I was good, and then I was bad. And then I was good again, and then I was bad again, and then I was funny. And I don't know what that meant exactly, but he wanted to tell me. And so I looked at his mommy, and I said, okay, Allison, does he deserve it? She said, yeah, he deserves it. Give it to him. And so I went in and gave him his gift that I bought for him. But I asked him later, I said, buddy, you said you were bad a couple times. What'd you do? He said, well, one night I wanted some donuts. And mommy told me, no, we buy little, like, hostess mini donuts, you know, for them for breakfast. And he said, I wanted some donuts. And mommy said, no, they're just for breakfast, that I couldn't have them right before I went to bed. So I snuck and I ate some. And I said, well, how many did you eat? He said, like 90. Well, there's not 90 in a bag, but apparently he <laughs> ate a bunch of them. I was like, well, what happened? He said, I was up all night with a tummy ache. I said, yeah, that's why mommy told you you couldn't have them before bed. See, why did Allison say, no, you can't have donuts before bed? Because she's just mean? Well, no. She said that because she loves him, and she knows what's best for him. And she's older and wiser and more experienced. She wants what's best for him, and she wants to protect him. She said, you can't have donuts right now, because that's what was best. And the same is true when it comes to God and us. God hasn't given us instructions and teachings 
so that he can limit our fun or he can hold us back. God loves us, and he just wants what's best for us. See, here's a little truth that I had to discover a while back, and it's simple, but it is profound, and it's this. My life is not my idea. My life is God's idea. And the same is true for you. Your life, it's not your idea. Your life is God's idea. He created you. He loves you. He is your heavenly Father. And He knows what's best for you. Several years ago, Alice and I bought a fire pit for our backyard. You guys have probably seen these. Seen these. They sell them in Walmart or Lowe's. You can get them. Here's a picture up on the screen of what a, when these fire pits look like. And we had all these great plans of we're going to cook out and we're going to cook hot dogs and you know marshmallows, have s'mores and all that. We used it like two times. That's what we bought it. We didn't use it a whole lot. But I was listening to a friend of mine preach uh, the other day. He preaches at a big church. Every now and then I'll listen to one of his sermons online. And he and his wife just bought one of these fire pits. And he asked the question, have you ever looked at the warning labels that they place in the box when you buy one of these? And I I hadn't. I bought mine, put it together. Well, Allison put it together, but still, I bought mine and she put it together. I never looked at the warnings that are on the box, but sure enough, these are some of the warnings they place on a box when you buy a fire pit. Here's the first one. Do not use indoors. Now, you would think that that's pretty self-explanatory, but somebody has obviously tried it, and so they had to put it on the box. Here's another warning. Do not use gasoline to start a fire. Now, if you're a guy, that's just a suggestion, okay? That's not a warning. We have to use gasoline to start a fire. Here's another warning they put on the box. Close supervision of children children is necessary. Now, again, you would think that that's a given, but they had to put it on there for a reason. This is my favorite. Do not attempt to touch the flame once lit. I think that's great. You know, oh, let's touch the flame, yeah. Now, all those seem like common sense, but most accidents happen when we ignore the warning labels. And the same is true when it comes to relationships and life. Just like fire pits, relationships are meant for our enjoyment. But when you disregard God's boundaries for relationships, you'll find yourself in some trouble. Proverbs 6.27 states, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? The answer is an obvious no. And yet the majority of our culture believes that they can play with fire and not get burned. Just ask Tiger Woods, Brad Pitt, or Matt Lauer. You play with fire, you're going to get burned. And David, for whatever reason, stopped listening to God and wanted to do things his own way. See, David was all alone, and while he was alone, he just kind of cut God off. And I think this is another reason why David pursued a relationship he shouldn't have. He stopped listening to the only voice that mattered. And we have the tendency to do the same. We let the voices of our culture often drown out God's voice. See, what David did is really what any other king in his day would have done. Because in this day, a king owned everything in his kingdom. And so if a king wanted a woman to be his wife, he just took her. It didn't matter if she was promised to someone else. It didn't matter if she was married to someone else. If a king wanted a woman to be his wife, he took her. It was that simple. So David wasn't doing anything that any other king in his day would have done. But you see, David wasn't supposed to be like all the other kings. David is God's king. 
He is first and foremost a servant of the Most High God. And he is supposed to be an example to the other nations of who God is. And yet we've all done it. We've all rationalized our sin by saying, Hey, it's what everyone else is doing. So I'm flirting with someone I'm not married to. Come on, everybody does that a little bit. It's no big deal. It's not leading anywhere. Everybody does it. So I sometimes go to websites I shouldn't. Everybody does it. There's not a guy out there who hasn't looked at porn online. Everybody does it. I'm just doing what every other guy does. So I'm sending sexually aggressive messages through texting or through social media to other people. Everybody does it. That's how you flirt in this day. You got to send inappropriate pictures on Snapchat or maybe through direct messaging on Instagram. You got to do it. You got to send those types of text messages. That's how you flirt. That's how you find somebody. That's what everyone does. So I'm living with someone I'm not married to. That's the way of our culture, man. I mean, 50 years ago, yeah, you got married, then you lived together. This day and age, no, you, you live together, you try it out, and then you get married. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that's what everybody does. And it might be what everyone else does. But you're not everybody. You're a follower of Jesus. You're not like everyone else. You belong to God. Everyone else may be a slave to the culture, but not you. You were bought with a price. And because of that, you're not a slave to the culture. You are a child of God. And when you lose sight of your identity in Him, you'll be tempted to pursue other things or other people to fill the God-shaped void that exists in your life. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. I love that quote. It's one of my favorites. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is really looking for God. And that's why I love the example of Joseph from the Old Testament. If you remember, Joseph was unjustly sold into slavery by his brothers. And he went to Egypt and he was all alone, didn't know anyone there didn't know that people group, didn't have any family or friends there, and he was sold to be a slave in Potiphar's house. And after some time being there, Potiphar's wife finds Joseph very attractive, and so she tries to sleep with him. And Joseph is all alone. I mean, Joseph probably longed for human connection. He probably wanted intimacy. He probably wanted to have a relationship with someone, and especially a beautiful woman. And yet Joseph repeatedly tells Potiphar's wife, no. Look at what he says in Genesis 39, verse 9. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. You see, for Joseph, God was enough. No temptation was worth jeopardizing the love, the contentment, the hope, the joy that he had in doing life with God. And that's why it's so important for us today to pursue a healthy relationship with God, to relentlessly pursue a healthy relationship with God. Because God promises in Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. When you pursue God and do life with Him, you are never really alone. And He feels the emptiness that is in your life. You may have heard me say a few weeks ago, Satisfied people don't chase after satisfaction. They chase after God, and satisfaction finds them. When you have the right relationship with God, 
the type of relationship He wants you to have, He is always enough. And so because David stopped listening to God, he then forgot how much he needed God. He forgot how much he needed God's help in life, and David's focus was on himself. He stopped focusing on God and started focusing on himself. God had made David strong, powerful, and successful, but I think David let all this go to his head. And he started to think, maybe I deserve all this. Maybe I earned all this. Maybe this was all me. And David thought that he could sleep with Bathsheba and there would be no consequences. He saw himself as invincible. He saw himself as untouchable. David thought then he could cover up his sin and everything would work out fine. He thought all he had to do was a little damage control and everything would be okay. But it wasn't. Things just got worse because God wasn't at the center of David's life. Proverbs 13, 12 says, There is a way which seems right to man, but in the end, it's the way of death. See, here's another truth that I've learned over time. God cannot heal what I hide. Hidden sin and inner peace cannot coincide. I told you that I like to spend time with my kids, and a while back I got to spend the day with Alex. I had to watch him all day. and So for lunchtime, we went to McDonald's, and we picked up some food, brought it back to the house, and we sat down at our kitchen table to eat. He loves McDonald's. It's like one of his favorite places to eat. And it's not just because of the food. He really likes the toy. I know that, but still, he loves going there. And so we're eating, and we're laughing. He's playing with the toy guy, and he gets distracted very easily. And so he's like waving his hands. He's getting up and down. I'm telling him he needs to stay seated. And I just knew eventually he was going to knock over his milk because he's at the point where he's big enough not to have a, a sippy cup, so we just let him drink right out of the container of milk that they give him with his Happy Meal. So the container of milk was sitting there, and he's playing with his toy, waving his hands, and I could just see it coming. I kept saying, Alex, calm down. Alex, sit down. You're going to knock over your milk. And so he would calm down for a minute, and then he would forget. And sure enough, he got going again, and he waved his hand, hit the milk, and spilt it everywhere. And immediately he knew he was in trouble. I mean, he just had this look on his face like, I just really messed up because I told him several times to be careful and so you know what he did he grabbed his placemat his Mickey Mouse placemat and he tried to throw it over top of the milk in order to cover it up so I wouldn't see it now I'd already seen it so as he's throwing down his placemat I caught it I said no no don't do that I said I can clean it up so I went over and I grabbed a towel I started to wipe it up and he just watched me then I got a wet washcloth and make sure I got all the milk up so it wouldn't sour or anything like that on our table. I cleaned it right up for him. And he looked at me with these big old eyes and said, Daddy, why'd you do that? I said, buddy, because we all make mistakes. And what I want you to do now is learn from this. This is why Daddy told you to be careful because Daddy knew this could happen. And he looked at me and he said, Will you not tell mommy? <laughs> but you know, he ended up telling his mom anyway because he can't keep a secret. Allison got home later and he told her the whole story. But I'll never forget what he said. He said, Mommy, that spill was a big one. But it wasn't too big for my daddy to clean up. Guys, 
I don't care how big your sin is. I don't care how much control you feel like Satan has over your life. I don't care what you've done or what relationships you may have pursued that you shouldn't have. Nothing is too big for God to clean up. He has the power and the ability to do so, but not only that, He wants to. And if you've wrecked your life, or if you're in the process of wrecking your life by pursuing something or someone you shouldn't have, maybe it's time to turn it over to God and let Him clean up your life. See, finally, David came to that realization that he needed to have God clean up his life. And he prays to God, and it's recorded, his prayer is recorded in Psalm 51. And just listen to what David says to God as he prays. Psalm 51, I'm going to start at verse 7. David prays, God, purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. David finally realizes what he's missing, and he seeks God. He says, God, I'm broken. I'm messed up. I don't like my life as it is. I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of pretending. So I'm surrendering everything to you. Come and bring joy again to my life. Remove the guilt that's in my heart right now. Make me clean. Make me new. God, keep breaking me if that's what it takes so that I can be whole again. Guys, healing comes when you come out of hiding. Every time. Every time. Healing comes when you come out of hiding. But what I want to ask as we close is what made David realize this? What made David seek the healing that he needed? What made him come out of hiding? Well, it wasn't a what, but a who. See, God sent a godly influence to wake David up. That influence, Nathan the prophet, and look at what happens in 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and, he grew, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb and, that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, this man... Excuse me, my pages are stuck together. This man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity, had no mercy. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are that man in the story. You see, we all need people in our lives that will speak truth to us, speak spiritual truth to us. 
We all need people in our lives who will have the you are the man conversation with us, who will wave the smelling salts under our noses and spiritually wake us up. See, don't just give your godly friends permission to speak truth to you. Let me challenge you today. Commission your friends to speak truth to you. David may have been king, but he wasn't above accountability. And neither are you and neither am I. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care if you've been sitting in that same seat for 30 years. Well, this building hasn't been here for 30 years, but still. I don't care how long you've been part of this church. I don't care how many years you've been teaching Sunday school. I don't care if you've been an elder for 30 years. It doesn't matter if your great-great-grandpa helped found this church. I don't care if you're the preacher on stage or a youth worker back with our kids. It doesn't matter. None of us are above accountability. We all need people who will have the you-are-the-man conversation at times with us who will wake us up. Because yes, toxic relationships can spiritually sabotage us, but godly relationships can spiritually empower us and enrich us. Remember that verse I read at the beginning of the message, Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers, suffers harm. Tell your closest Christian friends, those who have spiritual wisdom, to go to lunch with you ever so often and encourage you and build you up, but also to identify weak areas in your life so that you can make the improvements necessary. It is next to impossible to spiritually grow unless you have someone holding you accountable. As James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Guys, who in your life right now are you commissioning to speak truth to you because you need someone like that? I have those people in my life. Allison's one of them. I have a couple other friends, buddies, that are that way as well. And I'll never forget a few years ago, one of my friends came to me. He met me in my office back in Kentucky. And he said, Chad, you're a great preacher. He lied. He said, you're a great preacher. You're good at what you do in ministry. And I know you love people. I know you love your family. But you're not spending enough time with your family. He looked at me in the eye and he said, you're doing what everyone else wants you to do. And you're not saying no to anybody. And your family is suffering because of it. They haven't sent me here. They haven't said anything about it. And they probably wouldn't. But you're not spending enough time with your wife and kids. You need to start telling people no at times. And you need to spend more time with your family. And when he first told me that, I got mad. Because I love my family. I spent enough time with them. I was mad that he said that. But I knew he was right. And I made some changes in my life. Right then and there. Because of what he said to me. I needed to hear it. No one likes to be called out, but sometimes being called out is exactly what we need. You know, I hate my alarm clock. I really do. There are times I want to throw my alarm clock across the room. I hate my alarm clock. I especially hate this sound. There you go. Don't you? I mean, don't you just cringe when you hear that? I mean, that's awful. Okay, you can cut it off now. That's enough. <laughs> Makes my hair stand up. Okay, anyway. hate that sound. But I keep an alarm clock by my bed. You know why? Because I need it. No one likes to be called out. No one likes to be confronted. No one likes to get caught. But sometimes getting caught is the best thing for us. We are better when we do life together. Together with people who will encourage us, who will build us up, but especially people who will lovingly wake us up when we need it. That's what this church, First Church, is all about. And if you need someone in your life to help you out, we're here for you. 
If you're here at our North Garnett campus, come out and see us at the hub. If you need somebody to help you, to pray with you, if you need somebody to hold you accountable, we're here for you. Come down front. If you're at one of our campuses right now, seek out our campus minister there. We want to be a church that's there for you because we're better when we do life together with God's people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day and the time we've had here to study your word. And even though this was a sensitive passage, talked about a sensitive subject, Father, we pray that we can take from it what you want us to hear, apply it to our lives, so that we can be the people you created us to be. I thank you for every person in this room, and I want everyone in this room to know they are not alone. God is with them, and this church is here for them. May they seek you, Father. Father, may they seek the church so that we can surround one another in love and be there for one another through life because we are better when we do life together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.